0: Life is a blank canvas, and you paint your own story. I'm Lee Rogers, and welcome to The Blank Canvas. I'm going to be chatting with the trailblazers, artists, thought leaders, athletes, the entrepreneurs and creators, incredible individuals who inspire us to live large. This week's guest is content creator, comedian and actor Nick Bocher. Nick's testament to the maxim the cream rises to the top. In the early days of YouTube, while every ad agency and creative wannabe on the planet was busy trying to crack the formula for viral videos, Nick was busy creating dozens of no-budget viral videos as a side hustle while working his day job in artist management. Beach Daz, Trent from Punchy were his first YouTube hits, both sit around the 10 million view mark. Then once he hooked up with, or started collaborating, I should say, with Christian Van Vuren, the two Bondi hipsters went on a creative tear, ultimately converting dozens of hilarious viral videos into their own comedy, the ABC TV series, Soulmates. I loved it. It was hilarious. Nick's had a hand in many other projects since then, including co-creating the Emmy winning Seven Days Later. 2020 hasn't slowed down. He's starred in Retrograde, a pandemic-inspired comedy about the new parameters of life, also on the ABC. And out this month is the Stan original mockumentary from the Bondi Hipsters, which sees aspiring usbJ's Dom and Adrian, battling the woes of 2020 from the comfort of their couch. I reckon Nick's one of the most interesting creative talents working in the country right now, and even better, a damn fine human. Please welcome to the blank canvas Nick Bocher. Nick,
1: now is it Bouchier or Bocher? Bocher, but I, I go by either or. and in
0: fact, a handful of other names as well. <laughs> That won't be uttered this early in the podcast. No,
1: I was going to say, I was just about to use one particular word that's still quite curly. Am I allowed to swear? Knock yourself out. Okay, great. (laughs) I won't won't say what I was going to say. It's a touch early. (laughs) (laughs) I will, I will. It's inevitably going to come out.
0: It's a bit early for Trent, but that's that's for sure. Sure answer. (laughs) So, look, I feel like I know you because I've been watching... Your work over the years and admiring, mostly from adfa- uh, afar. Right. I know we have met a few times. We have, yeah. And I was thinking, the first time we met was it was it a New Year's Eve party, and you were managing a, an artist named yeah. Lior, Is that oh right? Oh
1: my goodness!
0: Yeah, we did meet
1: there. So we met at that party at um, in the in that uh, Point Piper actually, and that's right. Yeah. I was managing Lior, Lior at that time. Yeah.
0: How strange is that? There yeah. you go, Yeah it's i mean it was kind of interesting because i met you and you know when you meet someone who's in artist management as i have been on and off for 30 years with my wife kate yeah um you're kind of like okay right that that's what he does and yeah and it was good and you seemed switched on seemed like a nice guy i was like okay cool and then you know not that long after as the you know the youtube and viral youtube explosion was occurring Mm. i was checking out this video with this kind of quirky kiwi accent with this whale and a (laughs) seagull and i'm like i don't know that name from somewhere and there you go. Yeah. Debut. And I'm like, wow, okay. And then that kind of, since that time, sent you on this seems, this whole trajectory mm. as a content creator. Content. And, and actor. And yeah. I don't know. I think you've kind of got one of the more unusual uh, trailblazing <laughs> paths, dare I say, <laughs> for an actor. And so when I was doing my podcast, you know, you sprung to mind. I thought, I'd love to have a chat and, uh, you know, delve into that. Unique path you have yeah. carved out, how it started, and where you're heading, and all of that. So that's why we're here. Lovely, mate. Well, I really appreciate being had uh, on your show. It's a, <laughs> it's an honour, mate. Truly, thank you. Oh, that's yeah. cool. So, okay, tell me. I know you went to art school. Let's like, without sounding like this is your life. Yeah, sure. Let's let's go. Let's go back. Where'd you grow art? What sort of kid were you in yeah. school?
1: Um, I, I I actually didn't go to art school. I don't think. Not that I'm aware of. I went to um. I grew up in St. Ives. Um, at the time we were in a little cottage and I remember it very well. The first six years of my life was a you know, a cottage that was fibro/slash asbestos. And in St. Ives at that point in time there was a place called St. Ives Chase and it was still a little bit in the backwater-ish. There were still farms there, for example, as a kid. And um, it was yeah, it's quite weird looking back actually. And um, yeah, we were on a house that had a lean. And um, it's just maybe an that's why you are bench. If there is a decent <laughs> chance, because I think we, were, you know, that like I, I love our, our family and and all that. But I think it was a different upbringing. I remember people asking about my house as a kid, going, "Is your house that's like on the lean?" And they thought I was a little, you know. A little uh, maybe poor as a kid. That That's kind of what they, they thought I was. A little yep. bit poor and kind of odd. But it, it was still St. Ives. It was still such a beautiful upbringing. I'm so fucking lucky. But, so I grew up in St. Ives. And then, uh, you, know, uh, did, you know, went to a private school after a while. And just admire my parents so much for that. They put us through private school and, you know, mortgaged the house God knows how many times to get us through. And I didn't necessarily fit. At a, in a primary school paradigm, as much as I, you know, enjoyed the people there yeah. and had all my friends and all that kind of stuff, I didn't necessarily suit academia, I think, um,
0: a bit, you know. I know do the feeling. Do you know the feeling? I, yeah. I feel exactly the same way. I feel blessed. My parents, you know, sacrificed a lot, sent us to good schools. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I didn't work failed the HSC, you know, got out of the going, okay, well, I'm going to have to kind of work and, Is that you why you're such a nice make- guy? Because you were like,
1: fuck, I don't know. Mate, I don't have academia. I can't really be cocky. I'm just going to, like, agree to just being a nice a nice guy in lieu of, like, a sharp academic intellect. I feel like that's my choice, Young. I was like, I'm a bit – I don't get what's happening here. Yeah. On the, on the blackboard. I don't understand a ton of stuff, but I could choose to be the nice fellow. And then that's my defining characteristic. Wow. And I think I chose kindness over in lieu of like academic intelligence. And, you know, there you go. That's actually really
0: interesting. I've actually just kind of had a, had a, a epiphany of myself there <laughs> yeah. going, oh, maybe that's what happened. I'm <laughs> maybe. Like, I'm not smart enough to be cocky. No, I'm you're just definitely g- intelligent. Oh. A highly intelligent fellow, but maybe... I don't know. Mate, those- it's it's uh, yeah, interesting. Yeah. Wow. So at school, did you do you know school plays and drama and all of that stuff? Or- I did. I yeah. said
1: like in um, I, I always loved it. So when I was like four or maybe five or maybe six, I did like Joseph and Technicolor Dreamcoat. And I do remember sitting on stage and I do remember looking out at this primary school production, thinking, "Fuck, I'm comfortable here, sat on the stage." Um, I remember my legs were dangling off the stage for some particular reason. I looked out and I just felt relatively at ease and that was you know between the ages of you know 4 and wow. 6 I can't quite recall but it at the private school it did have an arts program yeah. but it was fairly light on and it celebrated you know rugby union and all that kind of stuff so my devotion you know Kind of, you know, went yeah. into sports and stuff yeah. uh, and and not so much the arts I did do plays but I generally get in the chorus I did audition stuff but I generally was like the town crier or some shit bastard on the side that had to walk in and yell and then got set I, I yeah. wasn't like hmm, that, that, bo- that Bosher kid's got talent it yeah. was more like I don't know we gotta put him somewhere because you just can't. Like, I, wasn't even, I wasn't a standout by any means at all. Oh, that's funny. But what? I did have my friends go, hey, Bo, can you do that fucking thing again? Can you do that voice or do that blah? And that yeah. was the okay. the thing that possibly carried wow. me through. Mm.
0: Okay. No, yeah. there's a few yeah, a few similarities at <laughs> primary school. Similar thing. I, I was, uh, you know, one of the girls, one of the geisha girls in oh, the Mikado. Hell yeah. Yeah, that was a big moment. I and- played a eunuch.
1: <laughs> I can't even remember why I played a eunuch. Uh, and I think... Uh, Now, I look back a very racially insensitive accent at the time, but in those days, back in the the mid-90s, my choice was uh, celebrated by my drama teacher. Yeah, good accent, Bosha. But yeah, now... Highly, not, not ideal. Fa-
0: fantastic. Yeah, t- <laughs> <laughs> so you were a geisha and then I was okay. stup hot in South Pacific. This is in primary school. Yeah, and okay. I remember the headmaster going, hey, you've got a real flair for this. You should do it in high school. Is and it? I went to high school yeah. and, inst- and uh, you know, arrived at a similar, you know, kind of um, all boys Scotts College, oh, I, I, see. I went yeah, to, yeah. so it was all about sport, and you were, you know, frowned on and you know yeah. mocked if you did anything to do with the arts. Yeah, and so I was just like, oh god, I've got to be trying to be tough in this environment, so I didn't do any of the art stuff. Yeah. at high school, I see. It wasn't until I got out and then I kind of stumbled on it. And went, oh, actually, this is fun, and I seem to have a, you know, some natural talent in that direction, and that's how it started. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. It's, it's, it is amazing how like anything. <laughs> even close to being feminine at that
1: time at a private boys' school was not fucking ideal. Like, the arts and that artistic expression is not, like... It's not specifically feminine, but it's not not feminine. It was seen as feminine. It's, like, doesn't work in that paradigm at that time. But I do talk um, to some uh, recently ex-teachers at at, uh, at Knox, where I went to to school. And um, there's dance programs, and it is a lot more arty, and they do celebrate the arts a ton more, which is just flipping great because there's so many boys like myself maybe like yourself that have an artistic capacity and and it does need to flourish it's it's healthy for it to flourish in that particular individual if it's true for them and the fact that it was there was an era in which it was like relatively uh let's say not acknowledged or crushed somewhere between those two spectrums um it's fucking not cool, yeah, but it's no, cool now.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, you, you're absolutely right. I should add that Nick's wearing uh, nail polish today. Oh, <laughs> yes, <Yeah. laughs> sport, sporting a, a very nice uh, muted pink. Yeah, uh, that, a muted pink. Call it? I don't handle that. I'm yeah? extremely colour Okay, so I trust you. Okay, mate. I trust you. Yeah,
1: right. I am. Um, my, my girlfriend's a makeup artist, so, just, and um, she's like, Nick,
0: I'd like to do your nails. I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then here we are. That's amazing. Well, you know, um, In the last podcast or the yep, that's out right now, it was with a makeup artist, Ray Morris, and she talked about her mentor, yeah. who's a guy named Richard Shara, right. who was colorblind, and he's a legend in the business. He literally designed the Ziggy Stardust Holy and did the Ziggy Stardust paint on Bowie.
1: Don't you love that? Yeah,
0: and he was colorblind. Holy shit. Yeah. So and colorblindness isn't obviously,
1: mon, and it, it, things aren't monochromatic. Yeah. There's just obscure uh, differential, uh, differential. like you can't kind of differentiate between certain color spectrums. Yeah. So it makes sense. His oranges and his kind of bizarre use of colors were, were brilliant. Yeah. Oh, I love that, yeah, that story? story. Yeah, Fun, yeah. So cool. Love that
0: mate um ep11 that
1: that is you'll have to check it out yeah <laughs> I, I definitely will <laughs> yeah so post the school thing i did i did leave school um i don't know about about you but i, I did leave school with a certain sense of like the arts was absolutely not viable. Um, not even not even a thing that could be dreamt of pursuing at that point. I didn't leave with like an economic rationalism in my bones at that point either. I was like, fuck! I just have to not be homeless, and then that's that's my goal. Ideally, just
0: don't don't be homeless.
1: And so yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that's my aspiration. So yeah, anything- no similar thing, mate. Yeah. I
0: became a tra- um, I did an apprenticeship as a radio fitter and mechanic. My parents Sweet. were like, "Okay, well, you got to do something. You got to yeah. get a work ethic." And you know, it was a great call because it got me turning up to work. I couldn't just party all night or all, you know, for yeah. days. Had to wake up, had to go to work, and um, and that was a good thing, even though I was hopeless at it. Clearly not a handyman, but a good egg. But a, a good <laughs> egg to be around.
1: Bet you were lovely. I bet everybody thought you were a delight. Fucking <laughs> like hell! You just like if you turned up and were as good an egg as you mate you 're in you 're in
0: for life oh mate very <laughs> kind thank you so okay, how did you um, wind up in music management yeah so that
1: so that like I had an interest um, uh, you know always in the periphery of the arts after I left school now I kind of think about it I started filming local youth groups and trying to support there in any way i could i'd make i'd made a few kind of um PSA little videos for a youth group situation so I kind of always had an interest there Um, uh, but my best mate in the world a guy called um, Nick Banks got me onto a radio show Bondi FM 88.0 and it was Sunday morning at 8am. <laughs> and in fact, it, it was just brilliant. Like, it was brilliant for us. We had no listeners, very little interaction with any audience, but it was just such a phenomenal exercise for us to get up and go to Bondi. And Bondi was a bit rough and tumble at the time back in 2000 or whatever. It was just... This is brilliant. And so we had the radio show. And in and amongst that, I was relatively industrious as to who I'd try and get on the show. I had right. Missy Higgins and John Butler and Xavier right. Rudd. And at a time, I saw Lior perform at the Lansdowne uh, on Sydney. Is it Sydney Road? No, not Sydney Road. City Road um, near Broadway. And Leo had this phenomenal... Uh, Middle Eastern voice he's he's uh, is a Jewish fella yeah. and just had that stunning vibrato and guys, sensitive yeah. holy smokes It yeah. absolutely blew the rooms uh, socks off and just killed me I'd never had an experience with music like that certainly a voice that's just so f- piercing yeah. and so I had a chat to him and asked if he wanted to jump on the radio show and so he did so he came on the show and we'd set up the mics and we had a lovely exchange and then you know quite bizarrely six months later he got in touch and we didn't have a ton of interaction between the first time we met and six months later and he handed me a master a mastered burn of uh autumn flow his debut album Mm -hmm. and he said if i'd wanted to have a listen to it and maybe if i'd want to manage him and i was a 21 year old egg at that time and i just i remember listening to it a couple of times and acknowledging its beauty, but I can't, it's not like I could pick a hit or anything like that. I, could, mm. I was living in my mum's basement, like watching, you know, toxic mould creep up, you know, the back door and my cat trying to get, like it was just, I didn't know shit from Shale, but I had a certain artistic sensitivity. I went to bed um, one night, put the album on, and then I, I just shot up like a light uh, um, on track, number was the art of cruelty and if you are near spotify at the moment listen go to spotify listen to leo's art of cruelty and it just there's a few harmonies in that that just killed me and so i just said mate i'll drop everything i had a job at that time in an ad agency just as a as a a minion which was fun but yeah i uh i just managed him full-time from that point on um and i just gave everything i had to it i didn't know anything about management obviously but it's just that, that i was just like I'm gonna make 200 phone calls a day. I don't fucking genuinely have any strategic kind of uh, insight, but I just just went hard because I believe so much in his music and wow. him.
0: Yeah. So I mean, he's gone on to great success. Oh, phenomenal you, you, success! You, yeah. Got him. A, you hooked up a record deal, did you? Were we you a part a f- of that whole
1: process? Totally. Yes. Yeah. Wow. So we. So um, just trying to remember the chronology of it. So 2004, he released that um, Autumn Flow album. And I just helped with the launch, and I helped book the first tour, and there was zero momentum. And in fact, I was recently in Urala, where Leo played his like first regional show with me, and there was two people in the audience. And it was just a hot, extremely, extremely depressing time, because I had my girlfriend's corona, like 1982 corona at that time, and it broke down every you know, genuine, every 90 minutes and so it'd break down but you could do a few little things and it'd start up again and it'd break down again 90 minutes so I had the drum kits, the amps, I had everything in there and I was on the wire to get to the show so I got to the show covered in sweat in an absolute piece of shit car with all the gear and two people in the mm. audience but it was okay It was okay. I had it's a long way it was a long way to the top, to the top but not long after that maybe <laughs> you know three or four months triple j featured it and from there featured the record they started playing leo's hit um this old love yeah. and then from there it became you know you know relative to the independent movement at the time that john butler kind of spearheaded yeah. he went pretty large you know yeah. we went um probably platinum in, on that album, wow. stayed independent in Australia, wow. and New Zealand. We signed a few deals abroad, like one in the UK, a little one, tiny little one in France, um, and nearly signed one in the States. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, it was pretty wow. dope. Yeah, it was. Mate, a f- that's, that's amazing. It was I mean, such a good deal for Yeah, a, yeah it was an
0: amazing experience. It's a, it's a tough game, the music business, mm. and to you know launch in with really no contacts and no clue, yeah. no experience and uh, pulling that off. That's really impressive. It's the beauty of our situation,
1: not being particularly academic, leaving school like bug-eyed and like, what the shit am I going to do? And it's like you just be like, if I can work my way through my academic uh, you know, a- adequacy, <laughs> and I'm going to go hard. And and lo and behold, you know, that, that works. That totally, totally worked as, as a life uh, approach,
0: yeah, you know, yeah. The work ethic's the key, isn't it? If you've got that, and then you're willing to throw yourself off the ledge and learn from that mistake, you know, bash your head against that one, come back. Oh, well, I'm not going to do that again. Totally. And then you throw yourself out again, and you learn, and you, you know, you. You find your way. Yeah, there's, absolutely, yeah. And, you know,
1: school, and this is so, this is probably a, a relatively boring topic, but, like, school, you, you know, as an interface to express intelligence and capacity is really limited. Like, it's a very, very limited filter. And not everybody fits in, certainly not a, um, all artistic folk. You know, it's just not how it is. Um, but once out of that, you can flourish and express a capacity outside of that particular paradigm.
0: Um, effectively, you know, mate, that was beautifully articulated. I can, I can see a quote, uh, one of those quote see. tiles on Instagram. A queefy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Oh wow. Mm. Okay, mate, that's that's amazing. I didn't know all that, and so. How did you transition, or was it at this time when you did The Beach Daz, uh, which was, for anyone who hasn't seen it, I mean, it's, it was kind of one of the early viral YouTube videos. It's like a 90-second animated cartoon yeah. about a beached whale and a seagull having a conversation. And <laughs> yeah. um, I've got the whale sitting in front of me right now. Mm. He can better tell us about that project, how it came to be. And, yeah, um, yeah.
1: Well, um, so, you know, I did a bit of work overseas during the Lior time, so I kind of knew that I didn't want to be a manager very quickly on the piece. I loved Lior, I loved his music, and I still do, and I was really passionate about that. But I also was super reticent about taking on any other uh, artists because I knew that you'd have to set up a company, I'd have to start managing staff, who manage artists. It's not necessarily the route that I wanted to go, but I adored the arts and I adored Leo specifically. So um, I was in the States and the UK and I had just, just you know, late... 30s kind of approaching the late 30s you do have a bit of a reassessment period and i just had a handful of folks and it seemed divine at the time and i'm sure it was just not i just bumped into nice people but people like man bush you've got like a are you an, are you an actor are you an artist even musicians that i would kind of be billed leor would be billed with would ask if i'm a musician or an artist and i kind of it kind of unlodged Dislodged a little bit of that, you know, the sediment around my my artistic capacity and I just started to think with it around the age of like 26, 27, 28 and and I at some point just thought, fuck, mate, I think I might do that. I might think the arts is a thing and I was in a studio with another artist that I was looking after at the time and she said, "Um, I wonder what a whale thinks um, when they're beached And then I hit the live button through the studio window and I was like, well, they would think, oh no, I'm beached bro, I'm beached ears. She was tickled by that, I was tickled by that, and then I was like, well, I told my flatmate at the time, who's the seagull, Anthony McFarlane, and I said, oh, I've got this thing about beached whales, what do you think? He was like, funny, I like it. What if a seagull approaches and offers a chip? And I'm like, yeah, but he wouldn't eat a chip. He'd eat plankton. And then, you know, we were walking down the street and remember having the conversation in Bronte and we're like, we should do something with that. So we filmed it on a bed with a handycam and then sent the audio file and the visual. The, we we sent the video because we used a handycam. We sent the video to a way more talented friend, a guy called Jared Green who animated the video and kind of matched the eyes to what I was doing and how we'd refer to each other. And Yeah, it was... That was that was the, the birth of that, was that the birth. particular well, cartoon. You know,
0: you know what I hit in my preparation for today? I read that it actually started out originally. You were going to make a paper mache whale <laughs> yeah. and shoot it on Bronte Beach, and then that went pear shaped, and you abandoned it. That's and it. Became it. animated. Tell me about that, because that's a classic story. We
1: we so yeah. We had the idea of the beach whale. Me and Anthony McFarlane were living in Bronte at the time. Uh, and we we're like, yeah, we we know exactly how we're going to execute this idea. We're going to make a giant paper mache whale that I'm going to be sitting in. We're going to place it on the beach, <laughs> and then you're you dressed as a seal are going to come up, and then hilarity ensues. But um, we started to build the paper mache whale uh, and the the kind of. The, the skeleton of which we used the, you know, those um, like Ikea lights that have almost like a paper mache texture, they're moon shaped and they've got the wires that keep the circle in place. Do you know those? Yeah. So we bought like, I don't know, a dozen of those things thinking that that'd be a good idea. We made the paper mache and then we just got infested with ants and then we're like, this is not going to work. So we scratched the paper mache idea and sent the video file to... My buddy I Jared, it. I love it. I <laughs> yeah. think it's
0: a great insight into the creative process and just how you know these things come together. Rarely is it a fully formed idea. It's just like, oh, here's a kernel of an idea, and okay, let's just start. Yeah. And then if you actually stick at it and you finish that thing, you're gonna. It's going to evolve, right. and collaborators are going to come in, and it's going to wind up. You know developing into something and often it's nothing and no one ever sees it but sometimes if you have a crack and you complete that thing it winds up and in your case this you know quirky little 90 second animated cartoon is up to i don't know about 10 million something views like or yeah. something yeah, yeah we're on doing youtube yeah we did a series late last year called
1: the beached as aversary 10 year anniversary of beached as and we we kind of catered each episode to an environmental concern of some kind and it's funny it's like it's not like anyone was knocking our door down to make a new series but its lovely it's got a it's got a life to it and we chanced upon something and you're so right it's just like the very act of going through the process of making a thing creative uh, is kind of half if not more of the battle like if you just start something you're gonna finish it eventually and then it's something that exists in the universe for people to engage with. It's like, yeah, it's a doing world. As you well know, it's like a doing world. You just, things happen when you make stuff and finish stuff and release that thing. Steve Jobs, like, the best artist ships. And that's a quote of his, and I really kind of like that. It's Thanks. like, the best artist's ship. That, uh, ship product, because you get better,
0: you know? I, I love, it. I, got I love really, it. I got really lucky. Uh, the first, this is kind of mid-'80s, the first music video I ever directed. Mm. Um, I got inspired to direct it came via a uh, legendary director named Peter Clifton, who lived in Sydney at Rushcutters Bay, and he mm-hmm. directed Led Zeppelin's The Song Remains the Whoa. Same. Yep, total Damn. legend. He directed Stones videos and uh, uh, who else? All kinds of you know epic acts of that era in the 70s. Anyway, he had this young Sydney act he was mentoring, and... Um, we crossed paths. I knew that young singer, and he hooked me up with Peter Clifton. And Peter yeah. said, "Okay, great." So he said, "Well, here's the thing. I've I've only got a few sort of um, sort of words of advice. Once you start this, you've got to finish it.
1: Yeah, whatever great.
0: whatever you start, great. whatever project video project you got, to, are you going to finish it? Great. Okay, that was one of them. And then the other was, okay." nothing is more important than the performance yeah we're going to want to have lighting and we're going to want to have this lens and we want to going to you know do this and do that and your job as a director is to you know bring as much value as you can to whatever you're making but nothing is more important than the artist and their performance and so that so i've sort of that's kind of been my mantra the whole way through like whenever i've um you know been given a song or a music video oh, it's that. not like okay what am i going to do to you know tick off that visual image or something i was trying to like get on my show real you know? it's always been driven by what's best for the artist and ensuring that we can put them in whatever the strongest position is for them to communicate the song and the emotion of the song and it's actually you know set me up well for a, for a career so there's a bit of uh, for aspiring directors and oh mate i um, love that you know visual artists, music video directors, whatever, they're they're a few of the pearls of wisdom um, I've got. And um, so, yeah, I just love the way that one came about, mate. And it's what a beautiful thing that 10 years later, that quirky little thing came back and you are able to, you know, make an ABC... Uh, series with yeah it. and you know i just
1: so lucky man I, I, I think back to it all the time I'm just so blessed and when that thing came out it was around that time that Leo and I parted ways and it was the least contentious parting uh, at all because we had such a beautiful run and we were both so yeah. in it for that five or six year period but when I'd made the cartoon uh, and, and a few other things it just became clear that that was a, a viable Uh, something that I should do and I was like genuinely being called to do uh, to an extent at that time.
0: And and did you realise, had you decided, okay, I'm going to use this as a platform to further my acting career or you were just sort of taking one step at a time?
1: (sighs) Mate, I was was relatively felt panicky. It felt more panicky than that at the time. Because, you know, Leo and I, I stopped managing Leo around, I guess I was 28, 29. It was around that time that Beach Daz came out and a few other things. And yeah, it was my intention to use that as a platform of some description. But it wasn't exactly how it manifested. Like, I remember just being extremely broke. Like, just so broke, had no income stream. I moved back home. Uh, to live with my to live with my folks, and I just didn't quite know where to start. But I employed a not dissimilar a tactic to what I did with Lior to my artistic pursuits and interests, because I thought, you know, like if you want to set up a uh, I don't know a news agency or a farmer's market stand or a new startup with some tech, yeah, that's a ten hour, twelve hour, fourteen hour day. And so, if my vocation is the arts, I just kind of got working you know between 8 12 14 hours a day trying to create what it was that I would one day become and that was learning how to write because writing it's it is it's, its own skill as you know so you can come up with an idea like Beach Daz. that's a fun little interaction that's a scene that doesn't require any narrative but I did realize around that time as I started to write something I was like shit the bed man writing can be tricky if you have to honour character and audience's experiences and narrative and all this stuff so around that time I just remember being like broke panicky but quite focused and so um, focused in the sense that I just knew that work would be get me through this like just tenacity and work will get me through it so I went to the States thinking that was a sick idea because actors go to the States artists go to the States and then All the cool things happened, but it just only served to exacerbate how broke I was and also how far I had to go uh, at the time. I was sitting in LA. It was just like, oh, I didn't know anybody. I genuinely had a budget of two US dollars a day. When I had done all this stuff with Lior and Beach Daz has been going, I just like, "Oh gosh, what the fuck do I do so I, that was when I started to get up at five in the morning and start writing and just get enforce that discipline on myself
0: wow. I yeah, get up, I get up at five in the morning as well
1: Hey yo yeah, same how do you do you a smug getter her up or up because um, i am i, I my, <laughs> I my wife would you. say yes. <laughs> sleeping still ha. <laughs> <laughs> ah.
0: Yeah, that's classic. Yeah, Yeah, I do. I love it. Those first couple of hours, I can go for a swim or get some exercise. I can just, you know, get some work done if i got to crack an idea or something do that it's just that golden time of the day for me that was uh, mate, getting up early in the
1: morning and doing that at that time was a a bit of solace and there's a clarity of thought at that time certainly for me some people are night owls and get their epiphanies at three in the morning and i'm kind of a bit jealous of those folks in a sense but it's more romantic that one isn't it cooler it's just cooler (laughs) If you're like a, riding at two a.m. and there's a candle and yeah. you just tap, that's that's cooler. But I am um, I am not that guy.
0: <laughs> yeah. not? Look at no, that. No We've we, we got a, another thing in common yeah, there. Great. So so tell me with um, so obviously YouTube was. You know, as a platform was going off at that time. Yeah, and it yeah. was a time where things, you know, could genuinely go viral organically. Mm. And everyone was trying to guess what the formula was to having a viral video. I mean, it was pretty funny. Pretty soon it became ad agencies sort of sending a script out going, Oh, here's the, here's the script for a viral video. <laughs> yeah. It's like, hang on, guys. Yeah. It's, um, it's a little the cut before the horse. Horse yeah. Before the horse, before the cart. It's like um, it's not viral yet, and it's probably not going to be. But yeah, you know, we'll do our best. It's funny, but, eh? um, so it must have been exciting because you it's could awesome. see, yeah, you could see that there was the potential to kind of go globally, you know, big quickly with yeah. the content. So the first one, Beach Dad's global hit, you sold a hundred thousand t-shirts or yeah. something, I like think, off the back of that. Then at the same time, you've got this viral hit with a character. Trent from Punchy, yeah. Which uh, I think for many years people didn't know it was you.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, it's a pretty awesome story. Can you uh, tell us about that?
1: Yeah. So, yeah, it was was that early time of, of YouTube, wasn't it? Where you know people would send links around in emails and things that go. There wasn't that much on YouTube at the moment at, at that point. What two thousand and eight? It was around right, two thousand and eight, two yeah. thousand and nine. So there wasn't a ton of like comedy and other stuff on YouTube at that point. And it just, you know, yeah, Beach does managed to capture a certain amount of imagination. It was around that time that, yeah, that uh, I did Trent from Punchy. And that was uh, a whole thing. I had some of my very ethical, quite religious friends telling me to um, take it offline because it is a disgrace to humanity around that time so (laughs) that was interesting Um, but yeah mate we're so lucky because kind of Trent from Punchy and and Beach As two very different things were kind of the two relatively large things over those first few years and it was just I just so lucky and I took it as a, a very good sign that I should be pursuing this but Trent we dropped in a similar way Anthony McFarlane my flatmate at the time he always knew that I had this character called Trent. Like, I'd do it every now and then. I'd kind of poke my it's head. It's like a party oh. trick. Totally like a party trick. It's yeah. like, Bo do Trent. and be like, ah, da, 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 da. and he'd be like, sick. And then he was cutting my hair for because I had uh, Lior's second album release around that time, and he was cutting my hair because it was a bit ratty, and he cut me a mullet and refused to finish the haircut. I was this the filthiest, you can see it. And he just refused to do it until I did Trent. And he filmed it. So I sat there and he got the camera, he filmed Trent, then he finished my haircut and then I begged him not to put it up on the internet and he said okay. <laughs> and he did. And here we are. Here we are. And then it went, yeah, then it went bonkers. And I just remember within like a week or so, it had 6,000 views and I went out to dinner and a few buddies were like, hey, Bosch, I saw that Trent thing. Somebody sent me an email. It was just the weirdest thing. Cause coming from music management, as you know, you are not an artist. You don't identify as an artist. You identify as an egg that supports that or a bunch of artists, you know? And that demarcation between the two of you is a fairly important line that you just don't cross. Allow well, the artist to be artist, and you as a manager. So for me to, you know, see some momentum from stuff that I had made was a real bit of a, a twist. It was like
0: gave you some confidence. Yeah, it gave me a bit
1: of confidence, yeah. and it was surreal and yeah. all that stuff. It was certainly
0: odd. Yeah. Could could you give us a, a, a little of Trent and mm. Trent's view on the world right now? Christ,
1: I About don't know the- if you want it, mate. I mean, yeah, I can do it. I can do it, um, but. His his view on the world right now is he'd um he'd be like,
0: yeah everyone's just a fucking pussy, um,
1: all a bunch of um snowflakes. But you know what, Trent can still say anything because he's fucking Trent. So stop being so fucking gay. I mean that's what he would say, and he wouldn't care. There'd be no consequences to him. But um, there you go. You yeah. I, you can use that now and that could be some cancel bait for me. So in the I future. mean he
0: clearly had a few substance
1: issues, Trent. Yeah, I reckon, but I reckon he was a bit of a cheapskate. I reckon he'd be on the Omo bleach kind of kick. I can't see him on the good gear <laughs> at all. <laughs> you know, he'd be shelving no doze and stealing Neurifen and like he's he's that fella, industrious. <laughs> industrious chap. In fact, Trent was inspired from this egg who, at. Um, so I used to stop off at Pimble Station in the mornings to get a bus, and this fella called Cookie would roll around. And Cookie would have these, like, not quite get dreads so that it'd stick out like an old t- t- fucking World War Two sea mine, his dreads. He looked like such an odd bloke, and he'd roll around, and we were smoking at the station at the time, and he'd he'd take our packet of cigarettes, steal two, and then just throw the packet of cigarettes about two feet away from our feet. It was just like, and he was a tough bastard. Like, I remember being genuinely scared of this fella, but his name was Cookie, and he'd roll around and be like, "Ah!" he'd be like, hey, give us a day. Like, he'd just have that affect. So I'd go to school and be Trent um, at the click of a finger. <laughs> you know? That's, that's that. Mate, oh, incredible. <laughs> I saw it. Yeah. Not
0: knowing it was you, mm. and was like, "Wow, what a what you a, know messed a, up unit." What a cook! it was funny. Great. I mean, it was really funny. And then it, it wasn't to... until later, yeah, that I realised it was you. And that's when I went, "Wow, this guy's an awesome actor." Oh, great! No, really. <laughs> and, uh, so <laughs> it's so it's uh, no, it is. It's a total trip. Well, I mean, because <clears throat> at that time, so my main gig over the years been kind of creating content, directing yeah. high end. Advertising mate, campaigns. your stuff is always brilliant, yeah. Thanks, mate. Directing, you know, the odd TV drama and um, music video and, you know, a lot of stuff. But my main bread and butter for probably 20, nearly 30 years was directing high-end advertising. So I'd been in so many meetings and had so many briefs of, like, I, I've had stuff, I had it sent to me going, here's a viral sensation right now. We need to, you know, create a viral campaign for, you know, this coffee brand. <laughs> or something, And here's all uh, the criteria and all the things we got to say. And you go, well, you know, it's like I've got my hand tied behind my my uh, back. Yeah. You know, trying to create something viral out of that. That's not how you do it. You can't have these um, sort of parameters. Anyway, so it was a pretty funny thing to be on the other side of that, being sent your stuff. Yeah. Knowing this is what we want to do. Yeah, and we've got like, you know, 200 grand to spend. Yeah. I'm like, well, actually probably we've got a better chance of creating this viral sensation you want to do sadly you know spending a thousand dollars and giving us open slather
1: absolutely that, that, that
0: 200 grand and having the script to go through research so anyway it's interesting true. interesting kind of um, progression it's been we're heading towards kind of 2020 and present time where, you know, YouTube and these viral videos, I mean, it's a whole different world now than it was just 10, 12 12 years ago. Um, So we're continuing This Is Your Life here. It feels like it's funny as we're doing this chronological thing. I I don't usually do this chronological thing, but I am with you because it's just really interesting and it kind of parallels my own experience in a different end of the business. Right, yeah. And um, so... Yeah, it's kind of just sort of personally interesting. And also because I think what's happening now in 2020 with COVID and me here with this podcast, you know, working in that space now and what's happening with us all doing Zoom calls, working from home this year, the whole thing, it's all tied in this kind of chronology of technology that really started in a way with you at that time with YouTube and now we see what social media is doing now Mm. and it's so censored the main platforms of social media, YouTube and this stuff, you know, they've been kind of gobbled up by the the, the multinationals with their certain mm. political agendas, and it's being censored to the point where it's no longer what it was when you started. It's oh, happened literally. in such a short period of time. So it's kind of really on my mind right now, and that's one of the reasons why I was so interested to, no, to have you on and it's talk true. to you. So we're sort of heading to 2020. We won't quite get there yet, but to <laughs> Tell me, just on that point, I do. I just do
1: think we like it is a very different time. Like we were able to release anything up online. There was, um, you know, I mean Trent's not a particularly woke individual. Obviously, he says some cooked shit, and I just wonder if he would that character would cut through or would even get seen um, at this point. Not only because there's a. Trillion other phenomenal content creators and cooked con- content creators, but also that kind of censorship thing. Like he's a he's a baked individual, says anything at any point in time. And I think the culture at the moment, as optimistic as I am, because I am, you know, because that's you know life always wins. Um, but uh, as optimistic as I am, I think there's just that exacting censorship that it's like even if a character says something from the viewpoint of that character, which is infinite, obviously, and you want to get those expressions, gets kind of uh, judged in the same manner that an individual does that has an opinion on something. So it's a kind of a funny time to that end, because I have often in writer's rooms and often in certain creative processes, and I try and stay a bit piratey and a bit loose. um, But uh, yeah, it does feel like even characters are getting censored,
0: which is intriguing, it's really concerning the Yeah. political correctness is strangling um, that creative process yeah. in the arts. I mean, yeah, no, it's... It's uh, it's, it's McCarthyistic. It's it, like it's it McCarthyism, At a certain
1: point of it. It's like I, I feel for people I'm a privileged straight white egg you know so i've i've had it i've had it relatively good and i can definitely admit that and but i also think you know there is a certain fundamentalism to the censorship at this point that's quite uh counterproductive you know uh, i had a bloke a really really close friend of mine down in Geelong. Um, there is a game that you play where you kind of put your forefinger and thumb in a circle and, and you put it on your leg. You make a circle with your leg and if your mate sees it and looks at it. You owe them a punch, essentially. And so my mate was doing that on a video with his mate. It's an old game. I did it in high school. You just kind of, yo, know, you saw the circle, fucking bam, owe oh, you punch. It isn't bright, but it's also as innocent as heck. This, this genius from a publication down in Geelong... Insinuated that they were doing the white power symbol, which is an inversion of that particular uh, symbol. I'm not quite aware of it, but accused this gang after uh, of of being white supremacists. And I was thinking, geez, that's a that's a disquieting situation. They did some due diligence. They spoke to my friend about it. My friend was like, no, 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 this is a game. This is fun. This is fine. It's like it's a fun, silly game that's ages old. Yeah. This reporter still left it as very ambiguous as to whether they were being white supremacists or being huge dorks. And it's that exacting McCarthyistic, uh, ultimately it's fundamentalism, (laughs) ultimately, that is really counterproductive. It's it's silly. It's
0: a slippery slope, isn't it? Yeah,
1: it's AI. It's just like computer says, you know, Anyway, not to get all kind of bad vibes, but I think it's uh, an important thing to discuss because uh, I don't want to be a part of it. I don't want to censor myself ideally, but I also want to match that with a certain amount of awareness. Like, I don't want to be clumsy. I don't want to be mean. But also, I want to be, I don't know, have characters be fucking crazy because, you know what? There is a lot of crazy people in this world and it's quite intriguing to see someone manifest these ideas and concepts and stuff. It's a dark I, world. There's dark weird shit in it. So, let's you know, help metabolise that darkness by having weird characters say cook shit.
0: I think it's a great, (laughs) it's a great description of it. And, And look, I love, what I love about your work most is that you are, facing off with the status quo and you're finding the the absurd and the contradictory things and the irony and all of that, like pretty well every character that you've taken on, that's what you're doing and that's why it's funny. Yeah. I'm
1: glad. I'm I'm glad. Not not specifically... uh, It's not specifically intentional, but I'm glad that that's what it's done and I don't, you know, it's interesting having these conversations because I, I can see how some of them are a bit, yeah helpful to an extent in the fact that they're not particularly censored. they're not particularly yeah. clean they're not polished yeah look
0: we're not saving lives no, as they God say note. none of that but hey you know in 2020 geez a few laughs is a good therapy i'd be saying <laughs> yeah you, you know what yeah. i mean well
1: not to take ourselves so seriously i think it's like silliness i'm creating a show at the moment with a gen this chap called jazz twemlow uh with bunya productions you know jazz is a. Uh, as a phenomenal academic and a beautiful writer and a very insightful fellow but he's also silly and makes fart sounds and this that i just we were chatting the other day i was like i wonder if like the antidote to the current system and this like um the exacting nature of the culture is like genuinely silliness i think people are taking themselves way too seriously silliness is almost like you look at of Robin Williams just making anything silly and fun and light and taking the seriousness out of, out of the air. And anyway, I don't I, want to kind of no, wang no, no, on I, about I, it, I, but it's I, like
0: silliness is like key. It's I, vital at the moment. I love it. Well, I, I think even just looking at your performances and the way you seem to um, approach those characters, it's kind of really in the let's pretend sphere, yeah. you know. it's, it's and, and that's lovely. It, you know, kids can do it. Kids have it. Yeah. You, before it's beaten out of them, it's quite natural and sort of effortless at times. So um, I think that's a beautiful thing and you want to keep that alive. I've got a 16-year-old daughter and that's kind of like my wife and I, we kind of talk about it. We're like, wow, the magic's still alive. We've done yes. a good job as parents. That, that, that's what we see as our job, keeping the magic alive where she's able to dream and create you know, those who can create can put a future there for us. That's awesome. Whereas if it's all serious and that's killed off and it's just all about homework and it's all about this, then we can't solve the big problems that we have. Yeah. They're going to be solved by creative people. Whether you you know, we're, talk, we're in the, you know, film and entertainment business, but no matter what you're doing, building houses, phones, you know, anything at all, it's creative people who yeah. are solving those solutions that... That we're facing.
1: Yeah, mate. I read this brilliant book recently called a uh, brilliant, interesting book called Strange Angel. It's about um, oh Christ Jack Parsons. That's right. He was one of the fellows who set up um, the jet, JPL Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Right. They were the, f- the at the vanguard of space travel. Essentially, rocketry was there was their uh, racket basically. The time that JPL and um, Jack Parsons was doing his thing, it was in the 50s, and propeller air travel, commercial travel, was the norm, and it was the biggest thing. And anyone who talked about interstellar travel was fucking insane. It's like you were ostracized from the scientific community. It's like, you know, if 10 years ago you talked about, like, psychedelics being, like, or... Like, Let's say it was just entirely fringe and you were ostracised, basically. Jet travel is insane. So the scientists of the day who were working on rocketry started to swing with sci-fi writers to help postulate what would and maybe wouldn't be possible. So the scientists were chatting with Heinlein. They were chatting with these phenomenal writers, man. And I just love that. And they helped birth... In that safe space where imagination and science could coexist yeah. and complement one another. Yeah. They weren't separate. They weren't patronizing the other. Uh, they were the inventors of space travel. And needless mm-hmm. to say, we know where that's gone, like rocketry and space travel. That's it's like I think the, the combination of creativity and the sciences, and in fact, any academic pursuit creates phenomenal results it's just when the imagination is excluded yeah is where you start getting calcified material you know intellectual pursuits i love it yeah calcified i love that hey, i'm gonna use that please someone said it to me like 18 <laughs> months ago and i'm um, i'm using the shit out of it
0: <laughs> yeah yeah ah, i love it mate um talking about I don't know, absurdity. Mm. Let's go on to Bondi Hipsters, oh, yeah. which I think is probably, uh, I don't know, probably the thing you're most well known for. Would that, would that be right at this point or is it Soulmates or is it, oh. or am I jumping the gun? No, probably, like
1: Trent is the thing that's probably the most universal, weirdly. Right. Uh, but, yeah, Hipsters is wellish enough known, I okay. think. Okay. Yeah, yeah I yeah. think.
0: No, I th- oh, well, I think so. So yeah. look, I mean, I, I love it. I mean, Thanks, I think man. it's genius. I've. I can't tell you how many of the bloody little episodes and times. I mean, you've. You know, I'm on the on the phone going, "Oh, get off YouTube and stop watching those bloody Bondi hipster videos." And I'm part of the problem, really. Yeah, mate. Yeah, yeah. it's all your fault. Mm. Um. So, tell me a little how that came to be. Yeah. And um, yeah. There you
1: go. Great. Well, I met um Christian Van Vuren at at a Google presentation-y thing they kind of had those panels and we met i saw he did the fully sick rapper so he had like multi-drug resistant tuberculosis and was in quarantine for six or seven months having got tb in africa uh and so yeah he started making little videos and he's just a super smart dude and he was making songs and i could recognize the integrity of like the lyrics and the and the music making i was like holy smokes this guy's one of the good ones. And um, so we just had a chat at this particular panel. I was like, hey, yo, we should make a thing. Yeah. And uh, he said, yeah, sweet. And so we caught up and we had a... I, I, he's he's an interesting fella. Like, he's very kind, very, like, enthusiastic bloke. But he's also like, you've got to earn his trust a little bit. Yeah. Very open, very generous. But he's like, he'll be looking at you, just making sure, is this guy a bastard or is this uh, guy a good yeah. bloke? Yeah. So when we... I first put that to him. He was like, "Yeah, yeah, well, we can hang out, I guess." And then we had a coffee in uh, North Bondi, and the first meeting was like, "Hey, mate, how are you?" "Yeah, good, good, good." He was just checking me out, getting my number, and then I got some smoothies, and I said, "I remember when I broke the um." Keep going. No, yeah. oh, yep, I broke the uh, broke the ice by bringing back our smoothies, and I jiggled the smoothie, and I was like, "Christian, this." Uh, Smoothie has the texture and colour of dragon semen. And he found that funny. And then the relationship blossomed after me describing something looking like dragon semen. It was the first time I'd said that, dragon semen. I was like, we're cool. And that's how, we, that's how we bonded. So, from there, it was his idea for the Bond of Hipses. He had two characters uh, broadly ready to go In, from a concept. He was like, oh, one's a bit of a low bastard and another guy, Adrian, which is his mate. And so, we just jammed on what that world would look like after he bought it to me. And um, yeah, we, we just built it out, got some great lines, got some great thoughts and then we we started shooting, and we kind of made a little vow to each other to just make an episode a week for the for that particular year. So we first had that meeting what like end of two thousand eleven, then two thousand twelve. We kind of lent in, and uh, yeah, it was was a lovely experience for us.
0: It was a great great idea in that it was just two. Kind of knuckleheads in a way, sitting yeah. on a couch talking rubbish, and so it had low production value. Just had clever writing, and mm. you guys were able to pump out that content. And yeah, I mean, I don't know how many viral videos did you create out of that? I mean, it's like countless, isn't it? Well, Christian
1: made the song, so he he laid the bed down. Where he made the song, which was uh, Life Organic, and that kind of broke through absolutely, and that just yeah. shows his his songwriting. And making capacity. so funny. So good. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. And it was just an objectively clever song, well put together and well executed. So it's just, um, I think I was just lucky to, f- to find Christian and have that working relationship with him. And we probably had four, five, geez, maybe maybe four, five, six, seven, eight, maybe ten um, ones that kind of really cut through. And then the others that were complimentary were always received fairly warmly. Christian I always landed on a decent enough idea for it never to start stinking
0: so yeah we're just lucky mate. well you know worked hard made your own luck that's it that that whole thing Um, is there any for those that haven't seen or heard the Bondi hipsters you know go onto YouTube Google it whatever there's a lot of their content Um, is there any particular golden scenes or lines um, that you could share with us? Mate there I'm one of my
1: favourite lines, and I use this as an example every now and then to kind of prove a point to Christian. And this – so one, the very first episode that we did, we were like trying to take photos to appeal to the gay community. Um, and then my line was like, you know, um, things tend to go viral in the gay community. And at the time of writing, Christian was like, mate, that's uh, – I don't know if we can – say that because AIDS isn't cool and so on. I was like, AIDS is not cool. You're, you're, I mean, you're spot on. I'm not making fun of that. Anyway, we had a light conversation about that. He was trepidatious. We put it in the first video and that was the thing that was quoted back at uh, me and us after the first early few videos. So I was like, yes, it made it in. A, it made it in. And then B, it, you know, something happens actually. When you're in a writer's room, things do feel a bit uh, pointy because you're having that... You know, discussion. It's like things tend to go viral in the gay community is a hectic line, but through the veil of, the, through the the lens of the character, the filter of the character, and the intentions of the character in the scene, it turn it becomes quite comic. Certainly in that case, yeah. You know, it's not true for all kind of pointy things,
0: but it's certainly in that one. Mm. I was palmed about that one. That was and, good. And, and tell me, I mean, did you both? You were both living in Bondi at the time, was it? a... Or. Mm.
1: A, I think I was living back at. I, I have a feeling I was living back at home for a little while in 2011 because yeah. I came back from the states. That was the time where I thought going to the states was a really good idea. Like that's where you go
0: to kind of do the arts, <laughs> isn't it? You, you've you've not done the um, <laughs> the oh, what's the the brothers that have gone over there. And I'm nowhere yeah, girthy what, enough to what, be a Hemsworth. wasn't exactly your experience? No, so it was then.
1: not. No, I mean those <laughs> Hemswy are so flippin girthy and gorgeous oh, it's just they look they're thoroughbreds they're just beautiful and you know I'm not that guy and that's okay I've got a slightly higher register I'm not as composed and cool as them I'm just a slightly more cooked less cool weird cousin of theirs and that's okay like oh, I'm that guy but so that was not my experience so I came back uh, and that's Almost as soon as I got back, that's when I first met Christian, okay. living at home, and then not long after that, I was lucky enough to be able to kind of move out yeah. of home again at the age of 30 to, <laughs> 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 to, to like, you know, live on my own and
0: uh, live with... Gotcha. Yeah. So um, were you able when you were pumping out the content on YouTube, were you able to monetize that content at that stage or was YouTube not really at that ti- time delivering the content? Monetization that it can now for those sort of numbers?
1: Um, we were able to make money from it for sure, but not so much from views. Like, um, it was on Christian's YouTube channel and the, we were relatively conservative about how we served ads to people because, just frankly, the numbers that you need to hit in order for it to be highly profitable is approximately like, I don't know, even the best deals are something along the lines of $1,000 per million views. And we're not like a PewDiePie that's getting 50 million views per video. We were like getting in the hundreds of thousands, which is fantastic. And some got millions, maybe even tens of now, but it, it just never was something that we were that enthusiastic to do. And Christian and I both wanted to get into TV and film. So we, whilst we were super prolific on on YouTube, we were like writing, trying to write for TV and trying to get a show on um, the ABC and the like. But we did make money in answer to your your question. We made it from doing commercial things, um, getting little branding opportunities. Yeah, nice. And we were able to kind of start to flourish, which is great.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, that... um Brings us to TV, and so the series Soulmates, mm. which you created, which was incredible, Kate and I watched it. Oh, wow. <laughs> Laughed out, guts out. Holy smokes. Yeah. And, um, I mean, maybe tell people about that show. The Bondi Hipster characters were one of the four kind of characters yeah. in there, and basically it was a bromance between these two guys, you and you and Connor, over the ages – four different pairs of characters, I guess, finding each other in different lifetimes.
1: Yeah, that's right. So just four intersecting lifetimes. So the Bondi hipster characters um, were one of four duos, and essentially it's those hipster characters... Uh, in four different lifetimes so the first season was them as um, time travel agents in the future them as Bondi hipsters them as Kiwi assassins in the early 80s and then as cavemen uh, at the beginning or the end times we haven't worked out whether it's like they are early humans or late, late, late humans but either way they're in tiny little kind of loincloths and cavemen <laughs>
0: yeah no, no, that's there, the conceit there was some out of control scenes in that cave, cave yeah stuff. I actually
1: had um my face had to be right near Christian's taint, and you never expect that. You never expect that. I, I'd, I'd never expected I would live through that. His. Remember, kind of lying there and just seeing this, like taint coming down on my head. And I was like, "Oh no, <laughs> is, this, is this the glamour of oh, television?" No, there's a taint. It's oh, and then it kind of rested neatly on the bridge of my nose, and I was like, "Oh no, I don't, I'm not.
0: Oh, here I am." So, give us a give us an insight into the the writers' room when you were developing the series with the ABC.
1: Yeah, so I I had idea of the the lifetimes conceit and i also so a had that lifetimes like that soulmates conceit but i also had developed only as a kind of a a a few page treatment i developed the caveman idea as separate to that the kiwis idea and then also christian and i had developed the the hipsters idea fairly well and so we had originally pitched them as individual shows to the ABC as things to pursue. And then they were like, well, what if you'd kind of combine them? And then that's when the soulmate's conceit happened. I was like, fire It could actually work if we did have them as, you know, life those two characters as wow. expressed through different lifetimes. Wow. Yeah. I
0: like that. Do it was you nice. personally have any sense that you've lived before and you'll live again?
1: Oh, I'm a reincarnation fellow for sure. But I don't – I kind of – I feel like my past life stuff are, like, just like a feudal labourer. You know what I mean? Like, I picture myself toiling fields. I was never a king.
0: Yeah, you weren't
1: Napoleon. I was not Napoleon. I was not Cleopatra. I think I was just a bit of a pagany then a feudal kind of tenant farmer kind of that's that's what i picture and i also a joker perhaps maybe maybe i didn't i have had these dreams of like a certain amount of piety but not like i was uh, again i was an archbishop of anything i just remember like being again this is past life fruit chat i'm glad you're cool with it yay but i do just yeah have this idea of like me being a small having a small group and being slightly pious bastard. Wow. But they're just fun things I like to think about. And whether they're true or not, I almost don't give a shiny. Oh. I love putting my head there. That's
0: cool. Yeah. I <laughs> mean, yeah, I, yeah, I uh, personally, I, I'm the same. I have, oh, really? I have, I have a, I, oh, have, I love that. I have very um, distinct memories of previous Mate, lifetimes.
1: I love that.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, this is, you know, we're going there on the podcast. But, yeah. you know, what the hell? If you can't have a candid chat on this thing, why do a podcast? No, I don't, you know, no, it's I, not. It's not. Uh, but yeah, that, that's that's my experience. And spiritual um, ideas, those so, uh, spiritual concepts, are f- so important to communicate.
1: Like whether yeah. you're on a podcast or talking to a stranger, and whether you're talking to someone who's got a religious, you know, uh, background or not, like I could just think talking about these bigger things are just like vital to our survival because needless to say, the world that we're fed day in and day out through the like news and politics and shit like that, it's like that cannot be it. That can't be... Everything. It, it can't be. It's like... that's. It's just so profoundly inadequate now. It was always, you know, at a deeper level relatively inadequate, you know, as far back as even having these more wonderful heads of state um, at times. it's That still wasn't enough. You know what I mean? And I'm... Um,
0: Stoked to be able to have the bigger chats. Mate, there, it's you real go. Talk. It's pro- there you go. There you go. Yeah. yeah, I think the you know, it's a problem in this day and age. The lack of spirituality and even the freedom to talk about it is is a problem.
1: Yeah. It feels like it feels like it's a problem. Um but I wonder if it's just not necessarily done. you know, it, even I listen to blokes like Joe rogan and and whatnot. He's a pr- profoundly spiritual bloke. He doesn't have a doctrine so far as I can see, yeah. but he has phenomenal conversations with phenomenal folks. And yeah. these phenomenal folks can be Christian, they can be psychedelic practitioners, they can be uh, fringe archaeologists, they can be dogmatic uh, you know, military folk, and all of them I like. All of them are talking about something bigger, whether it's their God or Mother Nature or whatever. And it's just like I think that discourse alone is helpful. Yeah, it's vital but- to our survival because, again, the constructed, created world is inherently inadequate. And that's not so much a criticism; it's just probably what it is—just not enough.
0: Yeah, no. Yeah. Well, well said. Mate. <laughs> yeah. Well said. And yeah, Joe Rogan's stuff. He was one of the guys that inspired me Good. to get going on the podcast. Great. Love, love his stuff.
1: Yeah, you can. He, he's yeah. a manly man. That bastard yeah. Yeah. chokes out elk. Yeah. What's going on him? And you know, but he also gets super deep and super spiritual, and is happy to say that he's had a psychedelic experience and spoken to a god. Why the fuck not? He, he's happy to speak to someone who believes in. Is is a, a proponent of the Church of England. I just think it's delightful. You know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah beautiful mate. yeah anyway that that probably is at the core of like a so the soulmates thing is because christian myself and also Connor van vuren um he co-created the series and was probably the more key writer in uh in certain stories we we have these kinds of chats they don't have a particular faith i don't have a particular faith necessarily but i'm exploring it daily you know like yeah and and we'd have these delightful conversations myself and christian and Connor and yeah. and that's why we all
0: landed and went? Oh golly, Soulmates thing could be quite cool. It's, it's, to it's, that end, it's really cool. So anyone who's listening, check out Soulmates. <laughs> there was two seasons of it. Any yeah. more coming?
1: Uh, no, there's there's not another season of Soulmates. That that said, um, Christian and I are developing a show at the moment that uses one or more of the characters, and a feature is getting developed for um, the Kiwis actually, which would be sick. I mean, it's. I, I can say this because I don't write much of the Kiwis. You know, I, I came up with a concept, but Connor is just a beautiful writer, and he's writing um, a lion's share of the Kiwis movie in the in the in New Zealand at the moment. So I can say. That is a brilliant story, and it's so fun to play. And I can say it because he wrote it, not me.
0: I'm not being too... um I I think it's totally right (laughs) for it. I love those characters. You know, I had a guy, I mean, this poor guy. I mean, I bloody tortured him at school, but he had just the really thick Kiwi accent when I was at high school, and I used to, like, make up these little... Rhymes and ditties, and one of them, his name was Richard. Richard, <laughs> yeah. And the the line, one of the lines I remember was, Richard's physical fitness diminished when he turned sixteen because he ate too many fish and chips. Pretty and good. I, and, and I look, I mean, I look back and go, oh god, I, I thought it was hysterical, but he, he probably hated it. Uh, um, no, I reckon but, you would have come in but, light, but he was a, a lo- but he was a lovely guy. Yeah, but you're something you're a good about peewees that that are. I mean, most of them are just really love, lovely, warm-hearted guys. I mean, you wouldn't want to have to pack down in a scrum against them oh, playing rugby. Oh,
1: shit, no. But,
0: you know, top blokes off the pitch.
1: They're beautiful. 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 They have such a cultural kindness to them. Like, mm. um, I'm lucky enough to be developing that thing in New Zealand and have enough reason to go there a good few times a year. There is just a profound kindness in them. And, in, you know, it could be the pakia, which is the white um population i wonder it's like the the maori population there is just kind deep lovely they've got a political kindness like i just love them yeah. i love them more and their comedy is so brilliant because it has a kind spirit to it like taika waititi's films they they kind of touch on that like happy sad of reality but there is a there is a prevailing kindness and sweetness that uh Mate, I just love so much. And, in fact, that's why I think I do the Kiwi stuff like Beach Daz and Kiwi Assassins is because I just love them, mate.
0: Yeah, I beautiful. love them. Good eggs. Yeah, yeah. They, they are. That's beautiful. Mate, and also you've got um, you've got like a special coming out on stand next month. We that, do. That is... Twenty Twenty, Dom and Adrian.
1: Yeah, Dom and
0: Adrian, Twenty Twenty coming it's out. Shot, and it's shot. It's shot. In the shot, can. It's in, the can. in fact,
1: we delivered it on Friday, officially all mixed and Woo-hoo. polished. Ye-hoo. Yeah, so <laughs> we'll see. We, we'll see. We had uh, like everyone had COVID content ideas around the COVID time. Um, you know, because of all the reasons, <laughs> like everyone created during that time, because. I do anything else, but Stan helped us go from like what would be a web series to actually doing that half hour or thirty-five minute special that we ended up doing, and it's came kind out of pretty well. I gotta say, like, That's exciting. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think we stuck to the mockumentary format in in Soulmates. We went narrative comedy with the the Bondi hipsters, and I didn't think, in retrospect, it like played to the strength of the characters. The characters talk shit on a couch. It's where they dump their silly insights and whatnot. So we went back to the mock format for for standard. It just feels feels nice.
0: You know? Feels yeah. good. That's exciting, yeah, mate. Pumped. Fantastic. Yeah. And retrograde, I hadn't seen it till I knew we were catching up. But oh, wow. I just watched a couple of apps. It's another, you know, COVID inspired um, narrative TV show, mm. comedy. It's um, pretty interesting. Yeah, it's an interesting like, show. Eh? Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. How'd that come to be? And tell us the character you're playing. Well, I just auditioned. That was one of
1: the first things I've auditioned for that I've got. Like o- over the years, uh, I've auditioned for a handful of things, and well, quite a lot, and haven't got them. But I've been offered parts and whatnot, which I'm pretty pumped about, and that's happening a bit more. Uh, but yeah, I just auditioned for Retrograde um and yeah i got it and my character was just it was on the drama spectrum really the show was a bit of a dramedy my character was one of the other love interests which i always find interesting because i don't picture myself as being a fucking sexy dude i picture myself as being a nervous you know itchy scratchy scratchy little bastard (laughs) you know what
0: i mean i just don't yeah but it was great
1: Great for me to do. But, but, I really you enjoy. You know,
0: it. funnily enough, I think there's. I think you should mind that because mm. what you've been doing. I know you do really well, and it's your natural bent. But you've actually got you know the handsome good looks to play that that lead and anchor those kind of things as well. Oh, that's nice of you to say. Yeah, no, thank serious, you. Well, so I think you're gonna. If you want to, I think there's more of that there for you. If you want to, you know. Put
1: that out there. Yeah. It's nice of you to say. I, I I genuinely would love to do more dramatic stuff, and Retrograde was just a, a just a beautiful experience for me to be able to do it. So it's a it's a drama that plays out, a dramedy that plays out on a series of Zoom calls around COVID, and my character is a guy that's been away for five years but it's coming back to Australia, uh, causing issues for the leading uh, lady played yeah. by palavi uh, Sharda, and who's and she is... how how man, glorious is she's she, a you? she where well, she's and phenomenally talented human being. It's right. fucking ridiculous. She's a Bollywood actor. Yeah. Um, and she's she is kind of quadruple-thready. Sing, dance beautifully. She's a classically trained uh, Indian dancer. Yeah. Uh, so smart, can write Like an author quality writer and a performer, it's just so in her DNA. It's just so dope watching her perform and and performing alongside her. Yeah, I was was blown away. Yeah, 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 I'm so glad. So glad. Yeah, Yeah, I was like,
0: holy shit, what else has she done? And I was like, wow. Actually, I'd never heard of her. Oh, she's and you know discovered. Yeah, she's a superstar in in India. But yeah, wow. I mean, she's gonna. If she which probably already does, but she's going to have a huge global career. You it's to, only just begun. Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: it's only just begun. There's, I've seen tiny excerpts of her uh, writing. because She's writing a book at the moment and we're contemplating, you know, working together in the future. Yeah, right. Uh, and, mate, it's just, just one of those rare people that we get Yeah, given. Yeah, every yeah. now and then <laughs> like every now and then we they just get dropped off here and
0: no, we're lucky cool. to have them yeah mate absolutely yeah. No, it, was, it was a great show and yeah. um whoever I mean you gotta love the ABC for these uh Mate. These, these kind of comedy programs that get commissioned and developed, I mean, we're so yeah. lucky to have them.
1: Mate, ABC turned that around quickly and brilliantly. Yeah. We are lucky to have the ABC, and I want to go on a rant about our current government, the ABC,
0: yeah. um, but I don't know if but I will. But We probably should wrap, <laughs> wrap it up yeah, yeah, at yeah, yeah. this point before we end end on a downer. No, this, not at all. This, it's this, an this upper, is, ultimately. This, this, this is, mate... We should wrap it up. What are we? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Mate, I'm trying to so much to chat about. I was trying to keep it to an hour, but, mate, mate we, we can, can chat just chat all day, couldn't chat we? chat as long
1: as we like, mate. Oh, I'm, my I'm,
0: God. I'm not going anywhere. Okay, mate. Well, look, no, I think that is a good point. I've got to think of my sound guys who then got to yeah, you know, edit mic Well, not that we really cut anything out. They just sort of take out a few... Pauses and a few of my ums and ahs that yeah, make, okay. me, make me sound more authoritative. Oh, I you see. You know, like one of those slick broadcasters. I haven't said it's cunt not- yet either. And so maybe I'll say
1: it next time. I'll say it next time. Oh, I was going to say God. it in the first
0: 90 seconds of our conversation,
1: <laughs> but. <laughs> uh, I'll say it next time, shall well, I?
0: Well, you know, it's funny you say that word because <laughs> in my movie Dust Off the Wings, which was which took place in Bondi, I yeah. don't know if you ever saw it, but no. it was kind of... I mean, it's a, a black comedy that takes place in Bondi and that's why the Bondi hipsters resonated so much with me. In 96, yeah. So I was kind of exploring the same... Not the, the hipsters wasn't even a thing at that time, but, you know, people taking certain things very seriously and and being passionate about certain things and clearly doing the opposite to yeah. bring that about what they wanted to bring about and there was you know it's right for comedy isn't it oh mate there's a lot that, of that that world so oh yeah back to the point on that the c word was in the movie hey, we yo. had the big screening to the distributor we had we were at can you know we had all the all the Hollywood agents and everyone kind of after me, and the distributor going, "We want to buy it for the world and all that," but you got to cut out that scene Come where you on. use that word. And I'm like, "It's kind of like, it's it's the scene. It's the climb. It's the turning point. It's the." You know what I mean? And, and it's Australia. And, and, and it stayed in there. And, oh, good. And I've got to be right. I mean, it was the right thing for the film, but it was certainly the wrong thing for distribution because a lot of big distribution deals fell over with, Come that, on. with that in there. Seriously, that's like 97. Things okay. have changed since then. Definitely. Like that got us an R rating at the time in Australia. Whoa. Whereas, you know, and really it was just, you know, some bad language essentially. Um, and some poor behaviour, but it was nothing like what an R rating would would get you. So... Anyway, mate, well, there you go. That's a good point to finish your homework. I'll send you a link to Dust Off oh the Wings man, so, you, so you, can, watch it. you can check it out. Yeah. And uh, and also, I mean, I played the lead in that and I'd never been to an acting class either. And so that's why your story ah. is just so interesting to me because you just kind of stumbled along into it and kind of had the goal to get up and have a crack and yeah. here you are, a working actor. Yeah, I've, so. I've just
1: been you know, lucky enough to, I've had a few people in my life who have recognized that artistic capacity. You know, my best mate, Nick, who got me on the, uh, Nick Banks, who got me on the uh, radio show. He was one of the fellas in our mid-twenties. Yeah. And it's quite uncommon for a boy to do this to another boy. But he was like, brother, I think you should pursue the arts. What a I beautiful think you're, thing. Isn't Nick it, Banks, shout beautiful. out to you. Shout out to Nick Banks. Wow. And then also, I think back to my my girlfriend's mother um, when I was 18. And she was like, I think you're you've got... She was a she was a reverend at the local high school, so very very Christian woman. But she kind of just encouraged my certain artistic capacity early. Shout out to Barbara Oldmeadow, and then and then a handful of people along the way, kind of who have acknowledged certain things. So I really owe so much to those
0: those folks. Fantastic, yeah, mate. um, Let's wrap it up. Hell yeah! I guess the last shout out, um, Dom and Adrian, twenty twenty on stand in November. Check it out. Check it out. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you, mate. Lovely to chat with oh, you today. What a delight. Cheers, man. Okay, that's it for another episode. Nick certainly won right out of the box, is he not? He definitely excels in the comedy space, but honestly, I reckon the best is yet to come as he's tapped for more dramatic film and TV roles. There's a lot of depth to this dude. Okay, if you're enjoying the podcast, then please subscribe, rate, review, and share on your socials. For more info, video clips, and more, head over to the website, theblankcanvaspodcast.com.au. Until next week, live large. The Blank Canvas is produced by Lee Rogers and me, Rin MacDonald, with audio support by Jason Murphy at Gas Inc. And music by Rodrigo Bustos. This has been a Milovich production.